0: number seven media production. Welcome to the Biz Crush podcast series where I interview successful South African entrepreneurs and movers and shakers in order to extract practical advice on succeeding in business and life. I'm your host Jacques Passant and remember if you prefer Afrikaans, check out Clipcoish podcast series. Although not as hands-on as he used to be 20 years ago, Durham MD Mike Steckhoven still has his finger firmly on the pulse of the paint industry. Durham family business originated in 1981 when Steckhoven bought a company that had developed a polyurethane waterproofing product called durham 105. Since then Durham has continuously pushed the boundaries of smart paint over the past 40 years. Such as the introduction of Raincoat, the first acrylic waterproofer for the retail trade in South Africa. Describing an entrepreneur as the internal optimist, Steckhoven maintains that focus in business is the most critical ingredient for success. Mike, thank you so much for your time. It's um, Again, I mentioned you've got a gorgeous reception. It's, uh, it's very arty. But uh, I, I made the mistake to say, you know, paint manufacturing is not that sexy, and you corrected me.
1: <laughs> I said business is sexy. Okay, so I, not the I paint believe. business. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs>
0: So speaking of business being sexy, tell us your story. Where did, where did it start? I mean, you, you weren't always an entrepreneur. Or, I mean, there was obviously that, that flair, that personality But where did it begin? Where did business begin?
1: Business began for me in any real sense when I joined a a multinational company uh, and I ended up with them running their South African operation. And I was as entrepreneurial as could be as was allowed within that corporate environment. Was there
0: a name? Was there a might sound like a stupid question, but entrepreneur now has become a buzzword. Back in the day, was that a thing? I mean, entrepreneurial... Absolutely.
1: Not? No, absolutely. And uh, it was always understood. And I think all companies try to be entrepreneurial, and they talk entrepreneurial, and then they have structures that, didn't, that don't allow it. And no, my journey that, that we're going to talk about today started... When I was uh, I was managing director of this mes- medium-sized industrial company, and I had everything going for me—a good job, first-class travel, you, uh, comfortable in Cape Town. I'm a Cape born, bred. No, no, refused to move away. In fact, in that previous company, and this is uh, that I was offered the top job. But as long as I moved to Johannesburg, and I refused to go to Johannesburg, and they offered it to me anyway. A few months later, when they got desperate, and they allowed me to do head officing from 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 Cape Town, but then I hit one day one of these uh, I can say a midlife crisis. I was I was just around forty years old. I woke up at three o'clock one morning. I hadn't been happy. I had been feeling just not at one with the world, and I had this epiphany, I think you could say it, and I said, you've got to get out. You've got to do your own thing. I had no idea of what I was going to do. I had no plans. I had absolutely nothing, and I started planning to get out, and three months later I walked out with, I think, in those days you didn't get golden handshakes or anything, with one month's salary, um, a wife doing her masters, I think she did at that time. Four children going into teenage years, no income, and I sort of hit the entrepreneurial scene, looking for something to at- attract me. What? What? So when was this? What year? 1981. Good it evidence. was actually in 1980. So, 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 give, give us a snapshot of, of.
0: You know the world of entrepreneurs in in, in South Africa in 1980. Because I think when you and I briefly spoke over the phone, you actually uh, told me a, quite a fascinating thing. Because in my mind, I always thought growing up that remember the Afrikaner's ambition was uh, you know doctor, dwermani, do uh, lawyer, or or become, become the prime minister, right? So that that was that was the uh, it was typical corporate animal you going and study. And I was under the impression that there was no real support for 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 startups, but that was not the case.
1: I don't believe there was any help for startups. The, the only good help that there was was that the, the whole business environment was unregulated. If you compare uh, what I, when I hit the entrepreneurial scene when I got going in 1981, which I eventually got going. What I did, and over the next few years, in the the survival years of scrambling to make a business, bring it together, get a coherent strategy together, find what you could do right, all of those things, I did it in a way which would be impossible to do today. They just didn't have the regulations. It was a bit, bit, I wouldn't say Wild West-like. But on the other hand, one had headwinds of... A kind that are very different to the headwinds today, which are mostly regulatory. In those days, where well, there was there were sanctions, uh, there were twenty five in the eighties. In the we had twenty five percent interest rates at some stage, and you know any business lives on borrowed capital when you're uh, and and overdrafts when you're small. So that's... so. My business journey on my own, my entrepreneurial journey was a, like a small boat being uh, cast into a storm, very, 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 very storm. Launched into a very, very stormy sea.
0: How was the the banks back then? Was it? I remember, you know, the good old days. Your bank manager. I mean, if you had a close relationship. You could convince this that this, was this one person. of the good
1: things you didn't have a credit a, that a, a, cre- a credit committee which which looked at you 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 had a bank manager who looked you in the eye and made a decision based on his evaluation of your business and and that was i believe a much better way of doing it, certainly certainly from an from an entrepreneur's point of view so yes i'm so I'm grateful for that sort of one could say the this uh, the in if that's the thing yeah, in, yeah. The, the regulator, in the le- regulatory environment.
0: What if, if you look back, and again, I'm keen to unpack you know, that the start of the business, what, what were some of the, 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 I guess, the wisdoms, you know, looking back, that what not to do? Uh, and again, if you have to give a, you know individual who wants to start a business today, what, what should they be uh, looking out for?
1: i think i had run a business and i real there were certain basic rules of a business which i understood and which a lot of people don't understand that common sense then it's no is that you've got to know where your how what your money's doing for you you've got to you've got to have control of you've got to have control of the money and that's that's first second and third You haven't got much of it, but you've got to have control of it, your debtors, your creditors. And uh, so the first thing I did, I started off with three people in my business, and one was a a very efficient accounts clerk I brought over from my my previous employer. So I started day number one with myself, one guy in the factory, and one account. So somebody in the office, and that was my the full compliment of my of day of day number one of Durham.
0: So what was what was the process? I mean, you, you resigned, didn't know what you're going to do. So what when that what what happened there that got you to okay, yes, is, is Durham, and we're going to we're going to make paint.
1: I didn't decide; it was decided for me because I got desperate after about three or four months of looking around for opportunities and nothing presenting itself. And I visited a friend one day who had been a partly customer of mine but also a good friend, and he knew I was looking for things. And he said to me that there was this company that he had done business with which had gone bust, and maybe I would be interested in that. So... so i actually knew of the company and i knew of the product they made and so i went and looked at it and i bought this company which hadn't had another name at that stage and uh, i bought it almost in desperation because i needed something get, get something going. something to do and that company made a single component polyurethane waterproofing product called Durham 195, <coughs> which was quite a breakthrough technology, but they hadn't quite got it right, and they certainly hadn't got the marketing right. So there was a factory with a f- few raw materials, one, mic- one mixer in it, you. some customers that had been customers in the past and no staff no nothing and that's what i bought it cost me everything i had so now, now, free now the cash, risk is increasing as fast as, <laughs> as, as free cash so i got i got going on that basis. so that took me <clears throat> into the waterproofing field so i landed there not by choice but but by happens happen by I haven't and, and I then had over the next short while a lot of s- decisions to make which had very big implications in in the longer run. Firstly, I decided that I, I was going to do waterproofing. Now, in 1981, when I got going, waterproofing meant bitumen's finished. They were black, they were dirty, they didn't last, they broke, they cracked up in the sun after a while. We had a new generation waterproofing, which was expensive, very good, specialized, specialized product. But I decided, and I think. Probably one of my most important decisions was from day one that I would focus on waterproofing. And focus in a business is absolutely to me is, 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 the most, is the most critical thing. So I came from running the, what was then the biggest industrial adhesives company in South Africa. and I, I, I was very well connected, of course. And I had lots of friends in that business, and I would get phone calls saying, come, Mike, we'll buy from you. You just go make those adhesives that you made from us before. And I said, no, not my business. I'm in waterproof. And, water and Which was a difficult thing to say. Yes. Because that was an easy way to some sort of turn up, but it wasn't the the direction that I was, that I was going to take. So... I proceeded down, I built up the market for Durham 195, the polyurethane, and then I started expanding the range. And I, and the, the biggest breakthrough that I made was about a year after I got going as a company, I'd probably employing now one or two more people at that stage but I introduced the first acrylic waterproofer into the South African market.
0: Time for a did you know insert. Acrylic based waterproofing is one of the top choices for the DIY user. It creates a flexible rubbery layer that effectively seals areas prone towards ingress. It can easily be applied using a brush or roller similar to normal water-based paints. Acrylic waterproofing compounds are available in a variety of colors, or it can easily be overcoated as well. It's a very effective waterproofing solution that does not contain harsh solvents and odors and is extremely versatile and cost-effective.
1: It had been spoken about, and there was, and again I must say a correction. Up till that stage, I was supplying anyone who bought waterproofing. And that meant contractors and anyone. I just needed the business. And I introduced the first retail acrylic waterproofer into into South Africa. There was one other company that started at the same time. I think they're long gone. They used to be called RFK. And they introduced it for the for the contracting industry and it was complex. They had a primer and a saturator coat and a top coat and you never knew how much to buy. And I saw an opportunity and I made another very big decision. I decided, firstly I found a nice name, it was called Raincoat. I decided it would be a one-pot product that you use both as a primer and as a top coat and as a saturated pot. One-stop, keep it easy, for the the small builder or the DIYer. And I made then the decision that remains to today that I would extract myself from the contracting business, from the waterproofing contractors, and I must explain that. Dealing with contractors is hell. They buy from you and then they think that they own you and they put uh, inexperienced people onto a roof. They mess up with your product. They say, it's your your problem. Come and fix it up. And you're spending your time fixing problems that the waterproofing contractors should be doing themselves. So, So I said, no more waterproofing contractors. We will focus on retail. So we introduced... Uh, acrylic into the retail. And let's remember that there was no acrylic there at the moment. The the product wasn't known. It wasn't proven. But it worked very well. It took off on its own. I had no advertising budget or anything. We just had walking into the shop, showing the the product, and getting the buy-in. The other good thing about selling into the retail industry is that they paid on time. They're sort of well, so one could rely on the cash flow, which you could never do with the contractors. You were the first thing they stopped paying when they had a, when when they had a problem at the end of the month or they had a cash uh, a cash flow.
0: So so that that was the the big breakthrough, the big, uh, just going from B two B to B two C model to an extent. I guess well yes, the retail is still a business, but with the with the uh, I said, the individual is the. And we
1: the have primary we, we have retained that. We are now a large company, and we only supply retailers. Our competitors will supply contractors and things, and we have held true to that because where we support the where we support the retailer, we give them we believe the best service in 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 in, in the industry. And we f- and we focus on that. But at that stage, it was a very, very, very conscious decision that we would build that would build on the retail on the retail side. And, and again, it
0: was for these reasons: a nice customer, pay on time, or what? What was what was the process of coming to the conclusion we had to go retail? Focus. Again,
1: we were small. The retail industry was big, it was not, uh, it was much more diverse than it is today. We, we're now controlled by the, by the groups. At that stage, there were many more independents. But we, we still had to, and we had to establish ourselves and build up our business in that. And so, it, again, just coming back to the, to the fact of focus. So we grew, and very fast from a very small base, and on in the in the acrylic field, we soon attracted uh, comp- competition, and uh, uh, within within a few years, almost every paint company uh, had a waterproofing product in the market as they do as they do today. But we managed to hold on to our market leadership. And of course we supplemented Raincoat with a variety of other products in time. But we we focused on waterproofing. We became known as the as the as the waterproofing company and we expanded, we started in the Cape, we expanded countrywide and we added other products, but we again we we remained focused on the on the re, on the retail industry.
0: You mentioned in the beginning, you know the the accountant or the you know the, the keeping tabs on 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 the the rands and cents. Uh, what was growing so fast i mean and again if you think recruitment uh getting the right people again what was what was the process how did you go and find your your future stars i mean how do you t- today even how how do you go about getting the the right people in the right positions
1: hit and miss try fail try again fire <laughs> i i what is that? i have fast fire fast what is the <laughs> you just you just guess uh... And one is, when one is small one is limited you know we didn't have our our account staff weren't as skilled as obviously as we have today we couldn't afford chartered accountants in accountants so we had the normal growth problems of any business where we had money disappearing and theft and firings and all the rest of it so we we grew like any organization grows through trial and trial and error and 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 sometimes where we got very close to the, the edge of survival. And I mean, we have a, a number of near-death experiences in tell, the business. Tell us about uh,
0: the scariest one.
1: <laughs> Let me first... <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell a story. May I name names? Yes, go for it. <laughs> the, in those days, I'm not talking about the 80s. The biggest um, hardware group in the country was called Wardkiss Hardware. Don't exist any longer. I just want to say, I
0: don't know. So that tells the story. They were owned
1: by Plascon. In those days, that was okay. You could. there were no competition rules and there wasn't and <laughs> there was no <laughs> there was no honor there so anyway plascon owned Wardkiss, and we supplied Wardkiss. then plascon brought out their own waterproofing product and i've got two stories to tell you can decide whether you're going to uh, include them or not but the first thing was that plascon brought out before the winter season in cape town when the waterproofing is uh, is at its peak they brought out a radio ad for their product which they had just introduced to the market i think it was called roof seal it's by the way it's no longer there but they brought up this very, very clever ad. It was this, this, this guy uh, who was a, la- a lazy sod at home and his was, wife was coming and scaling him out for the fact that they've got this, wart, this leak in their roof and he's too lazy to go and fix it. Uh, and, and, and now there's this new product and that that's so easy to use on roofs that even he could do it. So they made a lovely, they used a couple of Cape characters in it and it was a funny ad and it was very effective. And I remember us listening to this repeated ad and saying, well, that's our growth gone. You know, we've had three or four <laughs> it was, years. It was a good run. <laughs> uh, that was a good run and that's, that, that, that's the end of it. I remember we were doing our budgets and we decided and we'd been growing 50, 60, 80 percent, doubling in years, enormous growth into a virgin market with, with finding finding traction in that market. And then I remember us saying, "Okay, that's it. Uh, we let's." And we put in the same budget for the same year with no growth for that particular year. We doubled. Wow. And then we started. Looking at why are we why are things going so well why are we we're flying we've gotten with all this competition, and then we realized people now know they can do their own waterproofing, but they don't remember what product was being <laughs> uh, was being advertised. Waterproofing was being advertised. Oh my it goodness! Didn't sink in, so they were going and to the wood, to the hardware store and saying this new waterproofing or what's about waterproofing and getting advice yes. on waterproofing and walking out with raincoat.
0: My goodness.
1: So the next thing that happens, the ward kids say, sorry, we're not going to stock raincoat any longer. Oops-a-day. Which they could do. Yep. Couldn't do today. Would be anti competitive. Yes, yes. So that was that. But then there was a reaction. The Wartkiss stores had managers which, who were incentivized on sales. Waterproofing had become an important part of their thing. Customers were coming in and saying, we want the raincoat we've been buying in the past, or the things like that, Say so we don't stock it any longer. So they turn around walk out of, walked out of this.
0: And they go find raincoats else. else.
1: So we got a call saying, no, 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 no. No, no. We'll we'll stock we'll stock raincoat after all. <laughs> we'll put it back. But but gonna make it expensive. So they did. It was something like thirty, forty percent higher than the than the already expensive Plascon roof seal that they put in there. And what was the result of that? Sales went up even more. We this was now a premium product. Yeah, so they, they We were they shot already. In the foot. <laughs> we were already. We were already the market leader. We had a lot of support, uh, support and confidence in our product. People go in, they see a Plascon product that's selling for, say, a hundred rand, and they're seeing. The one they don't, before—that's oh, 140 rand must, or whatever must the be differential and it must—it must be better. It gives you confidence. So, the 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 sales went went up even more, Beautiful. and roof seal or whatever it used to be called quietly uh, fell off ex- the roof, exited. Exited the, the market, and I think those are two very interesting. Uh, le- That's <laughs> it's fascinating, but it's just it's such a lesson in
0: uh, it. It's, "What's that thing about you know digging all for someone else and falling into it?" <laughs> so, uh, so that was
1: that. So that was part. That was our growth. We added other products, and I've got, and you know. You wanting lessons of starting up a business, so I'm going to talk about an, another another story. We can come back to what a, I want to come back later. But at, in the mid-80s, been going five or six years, I had, and I went back to this friend that had given me the lead to the, buying this company in that five years beforehand. I kept in touch with him because one of the things that you miss when you're on your own in a small business you miss c- people to talk to, to. but a soundboard yeah. just soundboard just having somebody you can tell your problems or bounce ideas or just listen to because you're so, you're, you're on your own so i visited dave and and who had a large panel beating business so i was and i went to him regularly and during our chat he said, no, he had an interesting visit this that morning. Yes? He said he was visited by Rhino Linings, which is the polyurethane bucky liner. And they'd come to propose that he put added that to his business. And I said, yeah, yeah, and what was your what was your decision? So he said, no, I'm not going to do it. And I said, but why? He says, because I've got to put in, because it's a twin-pack polyurethane, and that releases isocyanates into the air during the reaction and the the spray, I've got to have, he says, I've got to have a a, a dedicated spray booth, which is an expensive uh, item, and I'm going to have to do so many buckies a day, and I don't think that I can ensure that we have that all that, so I'm not going to go along with it. It's it sounds like
0: he also applied the focus principle like the focus, focus on our core no, business. No, it wasn't
1: okay. going to he evaluated no. it and he made this, this, and he just told me that story I mean, this this was um, apropos of absolutely nothing but in my car driving back to my office, my mind got working uh, you know you talk you're talking entrepreneurs, you're talking entrepreneurial mindset, and I'll give you another example later. Just passed through my mind, I was mulling it over. but so a twin pack is, has, all, has those disadvantages because Bucky Line is this big business in South Africa. And I thought, but hold on, I produce, I'm in the single pack polyurethane business with my Durham 195 maybe I can make a bucky liner, which is a single pack, which doesn't release in its reaction with the atmospheric moisture, which is what creates the cure, doesn't release isocyanates. it's not dangerous, you don't need a dedicated um, uh, area to do it, yeah. you can do it in your backyard or in the road or something like that. So I went back and I wrote a little formula and I started experimenting. And the formula was the polyurethane and some rubber crumb, which I used in one of my other products I haven't, I haven't mentioned. And I got the formula pretty well dead right at the beginning. I mean, lots of, lots of problems later down the track, but the basic formula I got right.
0: Time for a did you know insert. A single pack or single component paint does not require a hardener to be added to it. It has a faster drying time compared to two-pack paint and will air dry. It can simply be applied and left to dry. Single-pack paint is therefore easy and convenient to use. On the negative side, it is a softer, easier to scratch and generally less durable than two-pack paint, which is a paint system involving an acrylic paint, melamine and a hardener Raisin. When combined, these two raisins result in a chemical reaction producing a hardened solution.
1: And as a result of that, we introduced DuraBuck into the market, the single, single component Bucky line of which we introduced in, in sorry in 1985 approximately. And DuraBuck has become, and there's a, it's a story on its own, it's had... And, and has needed a lot of work, and we still have, we now have polyurethane chemists who do refinements on it all the time. But, her, sorry, I'll start that again. Durabuck has been has morphed in America into a com- product called Herculina, and Herculina is the biggest selling. DIY, bucky liner, bed liner, truck liner in the United States. Incredible. So from that, just wondering or getting this idea on so the but way But you, you paid to, to all the drinks the word, since 85. We, we, yeah. we have got, and there were times when we were a lot smaller than we are today, when DuraBuck kept the rest of the business going. It's a highly profitable, highly specialised and 25 years later, there's still no real competition to that product. It's so specialized. Yes, there are similar products, but DuraBuck in South Africa, Herculina in America dominate the market.
0: It's, it's an incredible story, and it, and it comes just back to the, the business lesson of, of soundboarding. I mean, this is the, the chat with Dave, but again, it, it's, it's reaching out Spending time with fellow entrepreneurs and and this run-of-the-mill comment creates this incredible uh, product and and And
1: multinational product. And knowing that it will work if you get it. This is, I think, you say, what is an an entrepreneur is the eternal optimist. He knows it's going to work. And of course I've got lots of stories I could tell you where things didn't work. But I've lodged but <laughs> it's I've like looked, golf, right? But it's I've, the one swing no, no, no. But back. I've lodged, but I've got a very forgiving mind. I've forgotten most of those. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the things that work stay 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 with one. So so I've now got a business that's growing. That's got waterproofing as its main thing, polyurethanes as a as a, as a secondary line, and we're growing our footprint. We're growing our retail footprint throughout throughout the company, throughout the country. Sorry, um, we're now in most retail outlets throughout throughout the country. I'm now talking of 19, late 90s, early, early 2000s. But uh, going back into the late 90s, another thing, interesting thing happened which had enormous long-term impact. In fact, probably the thing that if you look backwards from where we are today as a paint company as opposed to a waterproofing company, And that genesis, that change happened in a visit I made during the 90s where I visited regularly our retail customers and I would choose to go go into an area and call on three or four, do a little bit of research before I went looking at their sales figures and I went to a customer who happened to be in Lakeside in Cape Town and I went to call on him and, and again just to chat, see how things were going. And I mentioned to him that that he was doing particularly well in his sales, you know, that, that he was a standout salesman. What was the reason that so much waterproofing was occurring amongst his customer base? Why was he selling so much raincoat? And, you know, what was the waterproofing? He says it's not being sold for waterproofing. People are buying it as a roof paint, so we had that conversation and again on my drive back to the work I was thinking raincoat as a roof paint and they're very happy with it but raincoat is formulated to be flexible it's not highly filled it's not an ideal roof paint but it's good enough they're happy with that but and again this thought developed as I went back Surely, if they're using our product as a roof paint, I can provide them with a much better roof paint. So we, within a matter of weeks, had a product on the market with the rather unoriginal name of Roof Coat, (laughs) which did a good job of painting roofs. And of protecting rooms. So we brought roof coat onto the market. And we now had this very wide footprint virtually through the whole hardware industry. And we offered them roof coat. And they the take up was instantaneous. And we start we were suddenly in a market which was much bigger than waterproofing. We had taken waterproofing from a specialist area when we started to being a, a, a product that was in every hardware store, growing, used by, used by a lot of people, but still a specialized area. There's a limit to the amount of waterproofing that is done. Once you get into the paint industry, and and we started through uh, roof paints, the the potential is much greater, and so we started growing very fast in 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 roof paint, and we eventually got to the point where we started bothering the big players in the country. And the big players, again, I'm going to name names, of Dulux and Plascon. And the biggest water roofing paint at the time was Plascon New Roof, which dominated the market. And in the... It was, again, one of those moments of... Uh, I am I'm, I'm scratching for a word of breakthrough let's we just call it a break breakthrough event in in, in our life which had a massive impact in the, in the long run we got to the point of growth where we started worrying and, and having an effect on the sales of the the biggest the bigger people in the market And we were cheaper by, and we grew because we were cheaper, but we have lower, we have lower overheads, uh, I think, and today, um, a a lower overhead structure. And I believe that we run a more efficient and a low cost operation, but it was certainly true. And we were trading on the fact that we could produce the product and make a good profit and sell it for about 30%. They were making their much larger profits, but they were protected by their brand and that they were at a a much higher gross profit sales level. But we got got to the point where we bothered them to to the point where they reacted to our attack as they saw it on their, on their roof uh, paint sales. And they did something which was a big mistake in, at the end of the day. Obviously, they didn't see it, but they came out with a guarantee on new roof. There was no guarantee on any paint up till that Date and suddenly, new roof came out with I think it was a four-year or a five-year. I think it was a five-year guarantee which they gave on their paint. And I remember we were sitting, our management team, when this came up. We were sitting in this building and we could not believe what we had heard. It was a like an earth <throat> like an earthquake that they brought this out. But not a bad earthquake, a positive earthquake. Within two weeks, we had roof coat on the market with a six-year guarantee, which it could comfortably handle. Yes. And we were still 30% cheaper than them. New roof is no longer sold. Roof coat is the biggest selling roof paint by a country mile in in the country they handed us a weapon which we could which we could use which we could use against them
0: and it's literally just adding that thanks that's the benchmark okay we'll just
1: raise the little bit and not increase our price they they were faced with competition and and it's very difficult, you know. It's we have the moment we got into the paint business, we have been a the the small company, the uh, the 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 the, 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 com, the, competitor, the competitor one taking on the taking on. We keep that sort of mind mindset, but they have the thing: is well, how do they react to a company which has a very good is, is, has got a countrywide footprint and is underselling you by thirty percent with a product that's as good as yours? You either drop your price and wipe out your thing and affect your your whole uh, costing and sell. Pricing structures, or you go on and accept that you're going to lose mar- lose market share. They reacted by thinking that they could protect it by putting a guarantee on, but it was actually a weapon which they were they were handing to us.
0: Did they ever get to the point where they said, "Let's just buy this guy. Let's let's buy the problem." <laughs>
1: We've had approaches, of course. I think anyone in our industry, we've been approached a number of times, but never by Plascon.
0: What would you have said if they approached you?
1: What we said to the others. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) get out. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you you very much. Thanks for for thinking of us. (laughs) Yes, thank you very much for the vote of confidence. (laughs) (laughs) But
0: but what I find fascinating with, with... where you started with this realization that number one, we we need to we're gonna get away from the contractors support retail. And it's these retailers became your almost your R and D departments in many ways. I mean the feedback from what you know, why are you selling so much? No, they use it, you know, for, for roof paint and stuff like that. So are there a lot of examples of of I guess this market information that 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 actually you you, you got from your, your customers or the customer's customer? So I now, think, how do you go about it today? I think
1: any business that's successful has an extremely good contact uh, at all levels with their customer, and there's there's cross-fertilisation. We, today, as a, a large paint company, we're in constant communication with our with our retailers, and it's an, as I say, it's at it's it's at all level, and we are influencing one another in how we in how we in how we do things. So yes, it can't it can't work any other way.
0: What is the? I just want to stop the uh, you know with the dynamics of. I mean, obviously, yes, business. Um, or businesses have consolidated. I mean, we 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 think uh, builders' warehouse. We talked about Tesco earlier, in, in the UK. And I mean, my experience. I, I in my corporate days, I come from a, a, a key account manager. I was telling uh, telling Quentin, I spent a lot of time here in Montague Gardens at SPA's head office, yeah, uh, working with the buyers. But in those days, I mean, this is going back twenty three years ago. I've I've never been a fan of of South African buyers. I, I perceive them to be aggressive. Um, pushy i'm i'm talking the pick and pays of the world you know where you you know they they have an agenda and they squeeze you or they play you off against the, the competitor whereas i find that in the uk some of these buyers oh, it's more uh, a collab so it's let's let's work closely together yeah they tr- still want to squeeze you for margin so how how's that dynamic over the years how do you see that i mean obviously i appreciate its customers so um, but how do you see it? Is there a, a collaboration mindset or is it still very much, listen, I want this product as cheap as possible so we can make more money?
1: One has diff- different groups work in different ways. You have some that have the very aggressive, beat you down, threaten you mindset, which you have to deal with. And I'm now not going to name names. And you have the cooperative ones where you work together.
0: So it's a culture. It's, it's purely a business it's their, culture.
1: It's their culture. And we have both. If you talk the sort of five or six uh, groups, hardware groups, most of them, we are cooperative with all of them. But some of them have to be taken... Fighting and screaming into a comp- cooperative mindset because it's against their it's against their culture. If they're not beating you up, they feel that they're being beaten up themselves and are being taken. you can't be happy? <laughs> uh, and we all know that that's not necessarily the case. The the case, but but the majority of them, we have a very strong relationship with and a very and but this is. Not, I think, necessarily normal. And I think it comes back to our culture and our commitment to them. They know we don't sell to their their customers, so they they trust us. We've always been absolutely honest with them. We never break our word. It's an absolute, it's it's, it's our religion we know we have the best service in our industry because they measure it we have 99 plus percent first you know delivery no nobody gets within a country mile of that and we work with them we uh, we 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 advise on pricing we are we help them we show them we know the rest of the market we work with them to make to get the price to the customer that is attractive because obviously it's the end customer that decides to buy a, a Durham product and we remain for the for our quality because we're only at the quality end of the market, we, we, we are less expensive than our major competitors, but we also make sure that the retailer is benefiting at the, at the same time. But it is sometimes not easy to sell this concept because they, many of them go, of oh, oh, years, that you sell as low as possible, get the customer through the door, and that to the and which negatively affects their, their, end, their bottom line at the end of the day. So it's a, a discussion, it's working together, it's explaining, it's helping, it's with their advertising... But it's but we have to develop very much a trust relationship with them and, and that is key to it without that trust without that absolute trust you have with them and very good personal relationship you can't you can't do what we what we have done and what we are doing
0: so here's a' here's a question for you so the when do you and I'm thinking of and i want to touch on farming cuz you know you've got that's another business that's that's interesting but if i look at, at at the farms the big boys other than the fact that you've got consolidation but the bigger players start owning and buying literally the, the whole supply chain which is a fascinating especially these mega farmers so my question is is there where is there a point where a successful manufacturer like yourself say listen we had enough of of these aggressive buyers, we're just going to start our own retail outlets. I mean, and I, I don't appreciate that. Uh, that's a hell of a thing. Bad decision. It, so, yeah, so let's unpack, decision. let's unpack that. <laughs> why, why is that? Or, where, or when do you know? When is special, that time? It's right?
1: specialization. You, so again, you do, it's,
0: it's, it's not, it's a different animal.
1: There's a, a comp the market, paint market, has moved to to big retailers. The the losers have been in in the paint industry. The big losers of the past have been the companies. I mean, there was a 10 years ago, and I speak under correction of size, uh, and Quinton here would would know it. the third biggest paint company. I think ten or fifteen years ago was a company called Prominent Paints, and they took the route that they would have their own retail outlets. So they and they would supply both the DIY and the contract contracting business, and they. Had I don't know dozens, hundreds of stores around supplying their paints. They are a f- fraction of what they were 15 years ago. That's not the market. People want choice. They want to go into a a, a large a, a large hardware store where they have an options and choice, of where they buy where they have. They can buy other stuff as well, and where there's a bit of a buzz, and where they don't feel pressured into that there's only one product or only one brand available. And we are supplying into a market. We would not want to be the only paint available in a, a particular micro or a builder's warehouse customer wants choice and wants to be able to make to make comparisons so if I wanted to think of one of the ways where one could (laughs) do enormous damage to our business would be to
0: open up your own own shops
1: that would be very 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 bad idea so so
0: 2022. Where where are you today? I mean, same same products. Were there any new products you, you developed uh, and expanded? We never
1: we never stop bringing new products, improving. How, the, how does
0: the market information work today? Again, is it with the retailers getting that feedback from the ground up, or how's it? I mean, now we've got Google and you know, <laughs> an internet. Uh, how does that, that process work for you?
1: There's very little new in the paint market. If you take the paint market, including waterproofing, because it's made like a paint and it has much the same raw materials, um, nothing much has changed in the last 40 years. The things that have changed are what we've done in the market. We've, we brought waterproofing as a major uh, retail line, which didn't exist Forty years, forty years ago. So we've created, or were the forerunner of 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 the water of the waterproofing market, and we've done polyurethanes, which is a specialisation within our company, not only for retail, but but, and we haven't gone into our uh, polyurethane business, which is highly specialised and which we sell. I've already mentioned America, but we sell other products in many markets. And uh, again, where we have a positioning that, and uh, which very small niche markets, but where we don't really have any competition. But the rest of the paint market has evolved very slowly in the 40 years of my experience. And what we have done really is come behind and done and competed with the with the big brands and what we've done is occupied their markets with we believe as good products or better certainly more competitively priced so our growth with new products has really been filling the niches that were maybe filled years ago by by other by other companies but which we have been have slowly slowly filled. So there isn't really an enormous amount of technical or sort of potential within the market. There's refinement. There's, There's an evolution of the products a refinement of the products, but no enormous breakthrough. I can't think of any in the decorative paint business over the last 20 years.
0: Is there a country that, I always think of ways best practice or something, you know, the best, any country that jumps out as far as the paint industry is concerned. We say, yeah, we can watch what those guys are doing or it's the same old, same old.
1: There's a difference in markets, and I, again, if you take trends in the last 40 years, there's been very little that is new. But what has happened, and it's not the same in all the paint markets around the world. Quinton would know better than better than than me. But it's the, but, it's the increase in the market share of water-based products, and the reduction in the amount of solvents used in the paint industry. And Germany would be an example of that. It was in the 1980s, I think, where it became very difficult to sell a solvent-based product in Germany. They had laws they brought out which limited the amount of uh, VOCs that could be that could be allowed in there. And they made it very difficult for paint contractors and companies to handle and to keep any quantity of uh, solvent-based paints. So there was a great deal of technical development in water-based, in, in water, water-based. And we followed that in this in this country. If you compared the, the percentage of the market share of s- solvent-based products solvent enamels, I don't know what, you, what all you would call them, of 30 years ago to today, the, uh, the, it will have gone down to a fraction of what it was before. We still sell probably more solvent-based paints in this country than most European markets but again, less than in America where they've held on, for example, where the technology remains much more and to a greater extent with, uh, with, solvent, with solvent-based products. So that has been a change. But the, uh, the technology has really been around for all of that time. It's just that because of legislation and, and regulation that uh, users have been pushed towards water-based Water-based product, and of course, water-based products have improved dramatically uh, over that over that period.
0: Want to talk about uh, your farm? So, so tell us about that. We had a fascinating chat before. before, uh, uh, For I pressed record, but but tell us, tell us the story.
1: I'm. I'm not sure that I really want to go there. <laughs> it's a success story. <laughs> so we don't have to. I mean, it's,
0: it's your choice.
1: Well, I, I let 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 me see what. Well, I... Just I, a, maybe an uh, eye level. Uh, <coughs> uh, a few learnings. I think <laughs> may. Uh, no, no, no. May, <laughs> maybe I'll just sort of finish finish off with. You know I'm not getting any younger and you know we've been talking about my business I've um, I have my strengths and I have my weaknesses but I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not good at accounts I'm not good at uh, administration I get bored very very easily if I have any strength it's it maybe be that uh, in, in, on the ideas and problem solving, or something. But but I started planning to reduce my involvement in the company about 20 years ago, and I have a son who now runs who runs the company. And one thing that I'm definitely not is someone that looks over anybody's shoulder. You have a job to do, you get on with it, and I, I left. To do it and if you don't do it well enough well we'll find somebody else who will who we'll, we'll, we'll give a chance. We'll, we'll give a chance to so about 20 years ago I was looking for activities to keep me busy without getting too involved in the job that was now somebody else's at this company at Durham so I bought a farm uh, Very beautiful, uh, very large, very historic, very rundown farm, which, uh, and which I'm, my proudest uh, (laughs) thing on the farm is that I have a pass, Thomas Bain Pass, Gray's Pass. Which is decommissioned and runs through the past, which I, know, which the farm which I now own, but I then took on the challenge of restoring the uh, historic fabric of the farm, which had twenty historic buildings, most of them eighteenth century, and and get putting the farm the farming. Farm back on its feet as far as on the on, on the on the farming side. It's a citrus farm, and that I've spent the last 20 years doing, and it's kept me away from interfering too much in the Durham. And uh, so I've, the farm is now has now been restored. It's fully organic, which is a, was again an interesting journey, going being the only organic farmer in my area and finding. Very slowly, very painfully, very expensively, uh, <laughs> the the dos and do nots of organic farming. But why, it's, why organic? Why did why did
0: you decide? Is, is, is it part of the lifestyle, the family values? Is
1: because it, it's the thing? Why why organic? Partly practical. I saw a. Great deal of money being put into getting the farm, getting the farm right, and I researched organic and the price you get for organic fruit. The return on organic fruit is much higher than conventional, so it made a business case, a good business case at least in theory and on paper. And the other thing was it. Uh, it was a challenge. And one needs a challenge. One needs to get out of bed in the morning to some kind of challenge. And that's what it's been. So I've remained involved with my business, with Durham, still am. But more on the strategy, on we're involved in strategy and that that side of the that side of the business. But still very involved and very engaged. And when I'm not engaged with, with Durham, I'm engaged with the farm.
0: Last question. You mentioned you know, being part of the strategy. What, what does 2022 hold for you guys? Any same old, same old? I mean, is what, how do you see things, anything interesting happening?
1: On the business side, mm-hmm. a challenging year. But we will grow. Why is it challenging? I think the effect of the COVID, the pandemic, is now being f- felt uh, more than maybe we were aware. We were aware of. I think in the tumult, if I can call it, in the excitement, in the adrenaline, with the, and the lockdowns, there was also from a purely a business point of view, there was an enormous move to home improvements and things, so surprisingly enough, one had record sales despite the lock lock beside the, uh, despite the lockdown. But the market is not growing. The, The economy is not growing, and the paint industry must eventually reflect what is happening in the broader, in the broader economy. So I, I haven't seen any official figures. Maybe Quinton has got some views on what the growth of the paint industry is likely to be. But if there's any growth, it's going to be marginal. But we will grow.
0: Mike, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for a great story, but great business advice in the story I always say to Quentin you know if I finish the interview I know it was was a good interview because I'm smarter afterwards and I'm definitely smarter after talking to you so thank you so much for, for making time I really appreciate it and good luck thank for you. 2022 I hope it goes very well and I look forward to uh, tasting one of your your these days. thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed the show Please subscribe and leave a review and follow us on social media at bizbizcrush.